All right. Well, that wasn't me. Okay. Well, good evening. <laughs> Welcome to the land of technical difficulties. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Out of respect for the word of God, would you please stand? John chapter 17. Word of God, let us hear it together. <clears throat> These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one, as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou hast given, those that thou gavest me have I kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Please be seated. Let us pray together again. Our Father, we thank you again for your truth, your word of truth. Oh, sanctify us by it as Jesus has prayed. Make us more like your son. Lord, peel back the layers that need to be removed. Father, deepen our love. Deepen our understanding. Help us to walk, to live out the things you have already taught us. Father, strengthen us, we pray. Change us from glory to glory is our prayer. Now help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is the greatest priest that ever lived. There has never been a priest more concerned about those whom he represented like Jesus Christ. Their concern was his concern. Their cause was his cause. One of the ways Jesus demonstrated his care for those whom he represented was to carry them on his heart to the throne of grace. Here before us, we have the heart of Jesus on display. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Calvary. You would think that would be the only thing on his mind. The suffering that's coming. But Jesus here is thinking about his people. He opens up, so to speak, and shows us the love and sweetness that he has for sinners right here before us. He will pray a prayer that his people would go back over and over and over again. He will pray a prayer that will never be forgotten by the children of God. He would pray a prayer 
that would change everything. So we take up again the prayer that changed everything. And it did change everything. Part 8. So in our last message, we saw how Jesus prayed concerning his disciples' reception of the Father's word. Christ has given to his followers all that the Father had given to him. His ministry was one of instruction in the things of God. He taught them the commands of the Almighty. Furthermore, we focus on the word that Jesus gave to his disciples to mean the body of truth that entails the promise concerning salvation. By, through, and in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation, no deliverance apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus had assured them of God's glorious love put on display in sending his only begotten son to perfect life, to pay for sin, to conquer death, and to reign in matchless beauty as their substitutionary representative forever. You do understand that Jesus is our representative, a substitutionary representative forever. That'll never change. They had heard of God's call of repentance to sinners so that they would turn away from their sinfulness and turn to the savingness of Jesus Christ. That's not a word, but I just like the way it sounds. They would turn from their sinfulness to the savingness of Jesus Christ. It's, that, it's an about face and a forward march to the Savior. It's kind of like our GPS system. I know some of us probably use that. Probably not the old Navigon that we used to or the Tom Tom or whatever, but we have it built into our phones now. You have a Siri or, or Alexa, if you will, and you're going down the road and saying, in 300 feet, make a left turn. And then if you keep going, it say, you know, in 75 feet, make a left turn. And if you pass that left turn, it says something like this, at the next or 300 feet, or at the next turn, or at the next road, make a U-turn, if possible. And then it becomes more demanding. Because if you don't make that U-turn, it would say, make a U-turn now. And the purpose of that is to get you on the right track, to turn you around so that you can go in the right direction. Well, that's what the gospel does. It's demanding. It doesn't say make a U-turn if possible. It just says make a U-turn now. It's a turn around right now. Why? It's designed to cause you to do an about face. It's designed to put you on the right track right now so you can be on the right road to get you to glory. So Jesus, in praying this prayer, and just like with a GPS, we can heed it or ignore it. We have to ask our question, which one would we do? Would we heed the gospel call or would we ignore it? It's our responsibility, just like with that GPS, to either heed or ignore but it keeps crying out. Some of us probably 
not to hear the sound, just turn it off. We can do that even with the gospel. Sit and hear it over and over again and just block it out. These disciples had heard and had seen firsthand, listen, firsthand the availability of Jesus Christ and his willingness to receive sinners of every sort. He was available and he was willing. He could walk by a sycamore tree and see a short man by the name of Zacchaeus in that tree and say, Zacchaeus, come down. This day I have to stay at your house. He was available and he made himself available for sinners of every sort. The day salvation, Jesus said, has come to your house. They were told of the real freedom that one may have in Jesus Christ. Real freedom. Freedom does not mean doing whatever you want. I think we think that as Americans, you know. We have some things. See, that's one thing about us as Americans. We, we have privilege and we have freedom, which freedom is a privilege. But we have that. And because we have these things, no one tells me what to do. We don't heed instruction well. Freedom does not mean doing what you want. Freedom, no, does not mean that. In America, we pretty much can go where we want and buy what we want if you have the money. And because of these things, as I say, we don't listen well. No, freedom, freedom, freedom is that which we have in Jesus Christ to be released from the shackles of sin and be snatched from the bondage of the kingdom of darkness. That's freedom. That's freedom. It's being free to serve our God and our fellow men out of love for both. That's real freedom. Jesus gives us freedom. He said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It comes in Jesus Christ. He had told them of God's forgiveness. They had heard of God's forgiveness, that the Father was and is still ready to forgive all who come to him through his Son. You see the avenue? There's one avenue. It's Jesus Christ. He taught them how guilt could be removed, how sin could be covered, and how sinners could be reconciled to God. That's what he taught his disciples. They received the word. We saw also that it was a privilege as well as a danger to receive the word of God. We consider it a privilege because of how rare the word of God was at some points in history. Rare. You didn't hear it. As in Samuel's day, the word of God was rare. Given that we in this 21st century have access to the Bible in nearly every format. Every format. It is a privilege to receive the word of God. A privilege. It's a privilege because it is for our soul's benefit. It's a privilege because it's for the benefit of our families. It's a privilege because it's for the benefit of society. It's a privilege because it's a benefit to the world. It's a privilege. How are we using the privilege? You have more Bibles than we can think of. You can get a Bible nearly any, anywhere in our country. 
seems to me that we make little use of it. Find it in a hotel, you find it in a dollar store, you find it in a thrift store, you can find the Bible anywhere. What a privilege we have. We're not taking advantage of the privilege as we should. It's even read. Can you imagine? It's even read over the radio. Yes, the Bible is read over the radio. What a privilege we have. You can't go down the interstate at least at one point without seeing the scripture somewhere. We live in a land of privilege. How are we making use of the privilege? It's a privilege to hear the word of God and it's a privilege to receive the word of God. But there's also a danger, as we said last time. The danger in receiving the word of God is the world's revulsion, hatred towards those who receive that word. Did you hear me? The world's detestation, the world's rejection of those who receive that word. There's a danger in receiving it. There's a privilege, but there's also a danger. Why would I say that? The world, this time why I'm saying it, I'm saying it because the world does not believe that hearing and receiving the word of God is a privilege and a benefit. It doesn't believe that. The word of God is just standing in my way. It's something I need to get around or get over. It's not a privilege. It's not a benefit. It's a hindrance. The world does not believe that a gospel change that happens to a person is actually a blessing to the world. Do you believe that? When someone's converted, you know that's a blessing to the world? To the world. It is for the world's good when someone is changed for the glory of Jesus Christ. You are the salt of what? The earth. You are the light of the world. If there's no conversion, there's no saltiness. If there's no conversion, there's no light, just darkness. It's a blessing to the world. And Jesus said, you are the salt because that means there's no other salt. It's emphatic. You are the light because there is no other light. Wear it. Let us shine. The world does not believe It does not believe that it's a privilege and a blessing. It does not believe that the gospel changing someone is actually a blessing to it. Why? Because the world is hostile towards God. That's why. Because it's hostile towards God, God's people feel the pressure and experience the heat of the world's hatred. We can't get away from it. And I don't say sorry. You can't get away from it. Sooner or later, it comes. Furthermore, we saw that Jesus prayed for his disciples' separation from the world. Not only the reception of the word, the danger, the privilege, and the danger that comes with that, but their separation from the world. These disciples are distinct in that they are handpicked out of the world by the Father and given to the Son. Handpicked by God himself and given to the Son. 
the gift of disciples, this gift of people doesn't appear to be much. Doesn't look like much. Doesn't even seem like much. We've talked about this before. The gift that the father gave to the son. We're not talking about unfalling angels, if you will. He already has those. We're talking about sinful men and women and children. That's the gift. It don't look like much. Doesn't even seem like much. But they are much to Jesus. Can I say that again? I don't want us to think lowly, so to speak, of the gift. The gift doesn't look like much, but it's much to Jesus. Jesus doesn't gain anything from the gift that the Father gave to him. Nothing. It doesn't make Jesus better. It doesn't improve Jesus at all. He gains nothing from the gift, but the gift gains everything from Jesus. What a deal. Because sinners have been given to Jesus, listen, they receive all spiritual blessings and heavenly places right now because of Jesus. We benefit from it all. Not only are sinners a gift to the Savior, but the Savior is a gift to sinners. What? I try to get my mind around this. Here's your gift, son. Doesn't seem like much. Here's your gift, sinner. Wow, this is much. Seemed like Jesus got the short end. We benefit. He benefits nothing. If you will. If you understand how I'm saying that. A gift to the Savior, gift to sinners. He should be ashamed of us. Listen, he should be ashamed of us, but he's not. But he's not. That's good news. As a matter of fact, he calls us brethren. He's not ashamed. Are we ashamed of him? Because he's not ashamed of us. So their reception of the word made them different from the world. We saw that last time. It made them different from the world, Jesus said it. When he said these words, I have given them thy word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. It made them different from the world. When you are different from the world, listen carefully, when you are different from the world, you're at odds with the world. You can't get away from it. Cannot. Your goals are different. Your love is different. Your service is different. Your master is different. Your road travel is different. Your destiny is different. There is a separation. Everything's different. Lastly, we saw that Jesus prayed for his disciples' participation in the world. Not only their separation, their reception of the word, not only their separation from the world, but they're also their participation in the world. We drew that from the scripture. <clears throat> Excuse me. When Jesus said in verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Why would Jesus pray that? Why would he pray 
don't take them out of this world. Don't you want to just be saved and transported to glory? That's not how it works. It works that way for some people. But for the most part, that's not the norm. Jesus prayed that they would participate in the world. His disciples here in particular and his children in general. He prayed that they should not be taken out of the world, but be much involved in the world. Oh, man. I gave at least nine reasons, I think, why God would leave his children in the world. One, it was so that the world can hear the best message ever given to human beings, the gospel. They won't hear it any other way. They need the gospel message. You needed the gospel message when you were where? In the world. And God brought you out of the world through that message. Not so that you could keep it to yourself, but that you may tell the world that you came out of. Two, so that the world could see firsthand the love of God. I ask you just a simple question. Where would the world see the love of God? Where else other than when God rescues sinners? Where would it see it? See, the revelation of Jesus, of Jesus Christ is to the church, for the church, through the church, to the world. Where would it see that? See it when God rescues sinners and those rescued sinners love one another and tell other sinners how to be rescued. It's like I said before. He rescues and he intervenes and he interacts with messed up people. He specializes in messiness so that those messed up people who are rescued will be able to tell other messed up people how to become unmessed up. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Third, it is so the world would see what it is to have peace with God. (laughs) We're here so that the world would see with all the turmoil going, around, going on, it's not that we're not concerned, but how can you walk with some peace? Because I have peace with God. I know who's in control. The sin portion has been taken care of. When there's that fear of dying, and I think people are not so concerned of death itself or scared of death itself, it's what comes after is what people are scared of. That's the concern. What's next? Death itself is just momentary. (laughs) Itself, it doesn't last long. But what comes after lasts forever. So that the world could see what it is to have peace with God. For so that the world could witness the power of God in changing lives. That's why we're here. That, what, what, happened, what happened to him? What happened to him? I hate to tell you the story, but I'm going to tell you because I didn't know this happened. A friend of mine from high school was, was searching the Internet. I think I may have told some of you that. was searching the Internet. Internet. And he was searching something on Psalms. I hadn't seen him in 30 years. Searching something on Psalms. And he came across 
this, this guy named Clarence Simmons. And he said, started listening to it. And he called in, and I think Brother Nick received the call. And he wouldn't tell me the person's name. He just said, here's a phone number. You need to call. You're going to be surprised. I said, I know the South Carolina number, but I don't know who this could be. So this, this, this friend told me this. We went to high school together. He said, when I saw it on the Internet, he said, I turned my tablet off. And turned it back on and said, can't be. <laughs> he said, no, it can't be. He said, I shut everything off and then put it back on because I thought I was seeing something wrong. Is that what God does? I mean, he, he saves folks so that people can see the power of God in changing lives. They're stunned. And you're stunned. <laughs> you saved me. So people want to know what happened. He said, I couldn't believe it. He went and told his whole church. I don't even know the people in his church. And the Lord had saved him. It was interesting. The Lord had saved him. He was in the band, and I played football. He said, I told everyone in the church, what happened to you? He said, man, they were rejoicing. They don't even know me. <laughs> Should be rejoicing when somebody's converted, especially if you knew if you was living like I did. Let me go on before I start crying. Five, it is so that those who reject the mercy that God has shown in leaving witnesses in the world would be self-condemned. God saved those, kept them in the world so that those who reject God's mercy would be self-condemned. Six, it is that the world would see a oneness among the people of God. They will see of a unity. You really don't see that in the world. They will see a unity, a oneness. What it is to be unified, what does it look like? Sometimes we don't give a good picture. It is so that the world would observe how one depends on the living God. He is dependable. And so that the world would witness the provision of God. God provides for his people over and over again. The righteous has never been forsaken, nor seed begging bread. And last, so that the world would have a part of her experience. A part of her experience. I told you all that. Having a Joseph among you brings blessings. It brings great Blessing. That's what I mean by a part of her experience. The people of God has blessed nations over and over again, businesses over and over again, simply because they were there. God does it all the time. He did it with Potiphar. He didn't say God blessed Potiphar for Potiphar. He said no, because of Joseph. So there's probably more that could be added. So we come now with just one thing. Jesus prayed for his disciples' sanctification. He prayed for his disciples' sanctification. <clears throat> it says in verse 16, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This seems to be a natural flow, a natural flow since Jesus just said, Keep them from the evil or the evil one. Could be translated either way. 
Jesus understands the pressure of the world that his disciples are going to face. And it will be a real pressure. This is one of those, don't let them cave in to the pressure around them requests. It it is a 911 call. Jesus understands. Jesus knows that he's going to be in heaven, but his disciples will be here on earth without him physically. Notice nothing really happened to the disciples that we have recorded when Jesus was around. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Jesus is leaving. And he prays for his Holy Father to sanctify his disciples on earth. So what is meant by the word sanctification? The word means to make holy. That's what the word literally means, to make holy. It is also to consecrate or set someone aside for holy use. Okay? means to make holy, but it's also to consecrate and to set aside or set apart for holy use. We see something like this with Aaron and his sons in regards to the priest's office. God said to Moses in Exodus, And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments, listen to the word, to consecrate him, that's our word, to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. It's a setting Aaron apart for special use. A holy use, if you will. He said, I want special clothing for Aaron for the service he will offer to me. He goes on to say, again in Exodus chapter 28, he goes on to say, And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shall anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Again, it's a setting apart for a certain service, a special service. So consecration or sanctification had to do with a special service to God. Please notice in what I just read. It was to be done God's way. God did say, now Moses, you go in there and just do what you want to do. But I just want Aaron and his son set apart. That's not how he did it. He gives, he gives specific instructions how he wanted it done. They, they, they were not to come and offer up a service or any service that they wanted. We need to take that to heart in our own day. We just don't gather and offer up just what we want. That's what happened to Nadab and Abihu. They offer up strange fire and God set them on fire. They probably have one of the shortest priesthood in the history of the world. God setting them on fire did not show that God was some mean, mean deity. No, no, no. It it is because God takes his worship seriously. So should we. So we see 
we see that sanctification has to do with being set apart for a special service to the Lord. Sanctification. But it also contains internal purity. You still with me? Internal purity is not only that consecration and setting apart for a certain service to the Lord, but it also contains internal purity. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, the more we look like God, right? The more useful we are in his service. I can say that one more time. The more, the more we look like God, the more we are like God, the more useful we are in his service. It's, a, it's an internal purity. I can destroy, you can destroy your testimony and therefore your usefulness in the service of God. You can do that. I think that's why the Lord said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Not only separated and consecrated, but it's an internal purity. You can say internal righteousness if you wanted to, if you will. But let's be clear. I want to be clear. You can have an external sanctification or righteousness, if you will, without having an internal sanctification or purity. You can have an external without having an internal. In other words, we can have the right actions without having the right heart of love to God while we're doing the actions. You can have that. Let me, let me see if I... Isn't, isn't it this human struggle? The human struggle is this. Who gets the glory? God or me? That's the human struggle. Let me see if I can show a few examples of what I'm talking about, of having the right action with no heart or concern for God. When Jehu, the son, grandson of Nimshi, was anointed king over Israel, he was instructed to cut off the house of Israel. I mean, a house of Ahab. Who gave him that instruction? God did. Cut off the house of Ahab. On his way to carry out that task, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab. And he said to him, is thine heart right as my heart is? You hear the language? Is your, my heart, your heart right as my heart is? With thy heart? And Jehonadab answered, it is. If it be, give me thine hand and give me, he said, excuse me, if it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand and he took him up into his chariot. And he said, Jehu said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. I love the language. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. I'm zealous for the Lord. Is he really? So they made him ride in his chariot. Jehu cut off the house of Ahab, as God said, destroyed the priests of Balaam, destroyed and even pulled out the worship of Balaam out of Israel. Isn't that a good thing? Yes, it is. He did all of these things in the name of the Lord. Supposedly. Well, he got rid of idolatry. But the scripture says this. How be it from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel the sin. Listen, Jehu departed not from after them. What? 
Jehu departed not from after them, to wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. What? Getting rid of Baal, but I'm still practicing idolatry. Come and see my zeal for the Lord. That's not all. The Lord had told him that he had done well and that which he told him to do. Listen to the scriptures. It's right in 2 Kings 10. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. You can do the right action and not have the heart. That's what Jehu did. I could do the same. He did it outwardly. He did the right thing seemingly outwardly, but he had no heart for God. Jesus said something similar to the religious leaders. He said this, even so, Matthew 23, even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Do you see it? Outwardly, you look pretty good, but inwardly, you're messed up. He goes on to say on another occasion, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves. You seem right. Justify yourself. Where? Before men. But God knows your heart. Do you see it? Outwardly. It's like Sunday morning. You know, no one has problems on Sunday morning, right? Sunday morning. How you doing? Don't mind, brother. How you doing? Everybody's fine on Sunday morning. Everyone. Unless you're a pastor, you know what's going on with something. But everyone's fine on Sunday morning. Jesus says, no, you appear before men right. But God knows what's going on in the heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. We don't want to just do the right thing outwardly. We want to have the heart behind it. Because we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. You call those motives, right? So this sanctification, this, sanct- this consecration, if I could put it this way in a simpler way, it is to be separated by God, to God, for God, enjoying God. Can I just give that to you one more time? It's to be separated by God, to God, for God, enjoying God. That puts the heart in it. Jesus is teaching his disciples. that He's about to go. They hear him pray. At least I think they did. They hear him pray, and he's about to leave. And as he's about to leave, he says something interesting to his father. Sanctify them. They're in a dangerous world. Sanctify them. And then he gives the means for that sanctification. The means or what is used for the process of the sanctification is the word. That's the means. There's no sanctification. Internal purity happening. Consecration without the word. We have to have the scriptures. Apart from them, nothing is going to happen. We have to have the Holy Spirit as well. But the Holy Spirit uses the word. That's what he uses. in our sanctification, if you will. And and our purity and our being made righteous, the Holy Spirit uses the word. You see that externally, 
but something internal has to happen. God, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own, notice, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. You see the external working out because God has worked something in. Call that, well, I'll give you the big theological words, synergistic. God's working and we are working. God is working and we are working at the same time. He works in, we work out what he's worked in. If there's nothing worked in, there's nothing to work out. Just a quick note, that's working out our salvation, not working for our salvation. But that's but that that's it with sanctification. We need the word and we need all of the word. We need all of the word. We just can't pick and choose. We need all of the scriptures. All of the scriptures is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. That's what Paul said. All of it. It is to teach us, to point out what is wrong, to show us what is right, and to guide us in the right path. All of scripture. We need our thinking corrected. We need our motives challenged. We need everything about us changed. And God has given us the scriptures. And Jesus said, sanctify them. Use your truth. Your word is truth. There's so many ways for errors to creep in. Errors creep, error did creep in during the Garden of Eden with our first parents. Jesus said they have to have truth. That's what they have to be banking on, truth. Even give us the reason, I think, for the sanctification. What would be that reason? They got work to do. Same thing you and I have to do. We need sanctification because we need to look more like God. We need to be set apart, right? Consecrated, if you will, empowered by the Spirit, given courage and boldness, or we would do absolutely nothing except complain. We would do nothing. It's like one man said, you cannot sit on your do-nothingness. You got to do something. And that's what we have to do. We need empowerment. And God gives us that by his spirit and the word. It's the reason for sanctification. The disciples have an impossible task. Would you agree with that? They have an impossible task. And so do we. An impossible task. To go against the grain of the world is not easy. I'm just talking about honest folks. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. To speak to those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ is not easy. Who likes rejection? Who likes to be rejected? Who likes to have someone say, I don't want to hear it? No one likes that. But some people may. I've been persecuted, man, for Jesus' sake. That's what they call persecution sometimes. No, we have an impossible task. They have an impossible task. They need the word and the aid of the spirit. And they understood that in the book of Acts. They cry unto God for pr in prayer. Lord, help us. Strengthen us. Grant us what? Boldness. Because naturally we are not bold. Not to take this book <laughs> to a world that hates God. They need boldness. And that's why. Some preachers don't preach certain things. 
You got to have boldness. People are not going to like it. <clears throat> the word is also the instrument, I said, used for our warring in this world. It is used in our purging, but it's also used in our warring. Jesus, when he was confronted by the devil, he used what? Shazam! His power. He used the word. That's what he used. He used a weapon of mass destruction. I'm talking about the scriptures. That's what he used. And he used it well on Satan because he knew it well. We can't use it well if we don't know it well. We got to listen, young people, you have to read the word of God. Get in it so it can get in you. You have to know it. Now, no one knows it perfectly, not, on, not in this world, and never will. But you have to know it. You have to know when to pull out the sword and start cutting. You have to know. Get in this book. Well, some parts I don't understand. Hallelujah. Welcome to the family. Everyone who reads the word could say that. Martin Luther was asked, how did you turn the world upside down? Luther said, I did nothing. It was the word. The word. We got to have it. You got to have it. I got to have it. It's our weapon in sanctification. And it's our weapon in taking the truth. The word, the word, the word is a mirror. That's why some people don't read it. It shows you, you. It has eyes. It sees you. It has legs. It runs after you. It has arms. It lays a hold of you. It has a mouth. It speaks to you. When you take it up to read it, if you're honest, you find that it reads you. This word. That's what it does. Jesus said this word is the means for our sanctification. Just like the apostles here, it's ours as well. And he says, and that's why I say the mission in verse 18, he says, God sent them in the world, even so, sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Do you see the mission field? The mission field is the home, but it doesn't stop there. The mission field is the world. It's a place that has a sign, right? After you leave the church building, the sign is up to say, you're entering the mission field. When you leave the church building, the mission field, it's everywhere. It's not just in Africa. It's everywhere. Mission field. We ought to go everywhere with this gospel. We ought to tell everyone about this gospel. We need to tell them about the glories of Jesus Christ, that God has given the best gift, the best gift, not Santa, but God has given the best gift that human beings could ever have, his only son. We ought to tell the world about that. We ought not to be afraid to tell the world about that which saves or rescues the world, if you will. It's the only message that will rescue sinners that Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended, Jesus is very much alive, and he's coming back. Your hope, your hope is in nothing else except Jesus. We ought to tell the world. We have to tell the world. If you don't tell the world, I don't tell the world. Can I ask a question? May I ask a question? I'm asking anyway. Who will? 
If we don't tell them, who will? Are we just comfortable going to heaven by ourselves? It's like what one man told me. I said, how you doing? He said, I'm blessed by the best, and I'm not worried about the rest. It's a bad statement. I'm blessed by the best. That's God. But I'm not worried about the, uh, about the rest. It's a bad statement. No, we need to be concerned. Someone was concerned enough to give us a message. Why we can't be concerned to give others the same message. We are to carry this truth. The mission field is the world. We can't get away from that. This is where we do our work. We do our work right here on earth. The church gathering is that sanctification process as well in which we do spiritual battle with the enemy. Do you know that? You know when we gather for worship, it's a spiritual battle? You don't know that's a warfare? (laughs) You don't realize all kinds of things happen on Sunday morning? You never notice that? Maybe that's just my house. You know, everything happens on Sunday morning. It seems like nothing goes right on Sunday morning. You, where you, where's your shoes? It's time to go to service. It's Sunday morning. People are more tired on Sunday morning for some reason. I can't figure that out. The bed hugs you and says, stay a little longer on Sunday morning. And for some reason... The spirit of sleepiness falls on the eyes on Sunday morning. We can see it from up here. Do you see it, Brother Jeff? <laughs> we see it from up here. We don't come here to take a nap, y'all. That's not why we gather. We come to worship the king. We don't realize it's a spiritual battle. We don't. But it's a battle all the way around. What's wrong with these clocks around here? Well, let me do Let me do this. Jesus sends his disciples out into the world. Jesus says something interesting in verse 19. He said, for their sakes, notice, for their sakes, I consecrate myself. Notice this has nothing to do per se with sin because Jesus is absolutely holy, sinless. But it's a setting apart. For their sakes, I sanctified myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. He tells us it twice. Truth. Sanctified. Truth sanctifies. It's the only way we're going to be separated from the world. We're going to be distinct. We're going to be different. Oh, it's not that we're better than the world, y'all. Just that if you've been saved, you're better off. You're better off. Well, what can we say about Jesus Christ, the lovely one? We can say this. This one who's going to Calvary prayed for his disciples. And pray for us. We are on his mind. It's the prayer that will change everything. And it did change everything. As he's marching the Calvary. He has his people on his mind. And he tells his father. Care for them. Everything they need. Give. And God has not stopped answering that prayer yet. Jesus' life will become their life. His death would become their death. His resurrection would be their resurrection. His ascension will be their ascension. His seat at the Father's right hand would be their seat. And his prayers will be their prayers. They have Jesus in every way. Every way. All Jesus. He saves us to sanctify us. To sanctify us. 
And then he sends us to serve him and this world. That's what we must do. Because that's why we're left here. That's why we haven't been transported to glory upon, or at least immediately upon being rescued. And so that we would be the voice of the master right here on earth, telling sinners that there is a savior that really saves. Oh, we want you to believe him. If you have not, there's room at the cross even for you. He's a lovely Savior, a precious Lord, a glorious King. And if you come to him, he will not turn you away. He's not that kind of King. Millions have come to him and have found him trustworthy. Millions have come to him and found him forgiving. Millions have come to him and been washed from their sins. Why not you? Why not you? If you miss the cross, that's not the king's fault. It's your fault. He sanctifies. He keeps. He loves. He rescues. And he glorifies sinners. And he's even prepared a place so that they would join him forever. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you again for giving us your word to be a light and lamp to us. Thank you for the King who prayed for us, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father. Work in us, work in us this sanctification that we would be more and more like Christ and more useful for Christ. Lord, help us, we pray. We pray again for our young people. Bless them and strengthen them and encourage them. Lord, help them to stand. Help us older ones to stand as well in this world, in this world, using the sword and using it effectively. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand. Excuse me. What am I? My favorite. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen. God be with you till we meet again.